0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. If you're a regular, you know that we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you're new here, then... uh... We're glad that you're here just to jump right in with the study we're on today. This is typically what we do. We just work through passages of Scripture. So I'm not doing a message specifically on Palm Sunday. However, I will do Easter next week for sure. We will do Good Friday, Friday. Um, However, this message, this passage of Scripture we're looking at today is very pertinent for the week that we're entering Um, And it's very pertinent because it really teaches us about not just having our eyes on ourselves and what Christ has done for us, but looking towards others who've yet to experience this kind of grace, this wonderful news that Jesus gives new life to those who trust in him, and to really shape our hearts with with a care and a burden and a willingness to do whatever it takes. To get that good news to them, so that's really what this passage is about. It's 1 Corinthians nine, verses nineteen through twenty-seven. Uh, you'll be able to find this on page five fifty-seven. So if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you, uh, under the chair. You can grab that Bible and turn to page five fifty-seven, and you'll be able to track with us. Now, here's what's happened right before this section, uh, in chapters eight and nine. In chapter eight, Paul is addressing Christians in Corinth, this church he started, and uh, he, there's a, there is a division going. On in the church, and it has to do with some people think it's okay to eat. I know this sounds like a kind of an irrelevant thing to argue about, but it very relevant for them. Uh, some people think it's okay to eat meat that was offered to pagan idols, and some people don't. And Paul's saying, "Yes, you can eat meat offered to pagan idols, but." For the sake of those who feel like it's wrong, why don't you just take a pass and out of love, just prefer someone whose conscience is affected by that. So he's telling them to love one another. And then he gives an example in chapter 9. Here's how I do this. Those aren't his words, but in essence, that's what he says. Here's an example of how I do this. And Paul explains to them, I'm an apostle, preached the gospel, started the church. That's a missionary. He's a missionary of sorts, uh, a unique missionary, uh, who came in and started the church. And he's saying, I have every right to be paid for what I've done, but I gladly lay down that right. And because of love for others, because I want to show that the gospel is free, I'm not going to receive payment. I'm going to serve you freely because that represents the gospel. And now in this section, he really gives the underlying motivation for all of this, for forsaking his rights, for loving others. He gives the underlying motivation for all of this in chapter 9, verses 19 through 27, page 557 in your Bible. These are God's very words. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself, uh, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. should be disqualified. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today and the, the, just the heart of it which calls us to look outward, the heart of it which calls us to uh, make personal adaptations for the gospel, this word that calls us to get our eyes off ourselves and to think about others with the greatest news imaginable in mind. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us through this passage And we pray that you would instruct our minds, but we pray that you would do more than that, that you would mold our hearts, that you would stir our affections, that you would turn our wills towards your will, and that you would give us a heart of compassion that is willing to sacrifice for your glory and for the good of others. Speak to us now, we pray. Give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, he tells us his motivation, doesn't he? Motivation is so important in the Christian life, why we do what we do. And he tells us his motivation in verse 22, uh, where he says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul is saying everything I've been talking to you about, about making sacrifices, preferring others, loving others, giving up your rights, all this stuff. I do all of this for the sake of the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died for sinners, that he was buried and that he rose on the third day that's the good news that changes our lives for eternity and he said i i'm i'm adaptable to all kinds of people in all ways because of that truth paul is motivated to see as many people as possible know jesus That's his motivation. He wants as many people as possible to get in on this glorious good news that he has experienced. He doesn't want to keep it to himself. He wants others to experience it. And don't you want that to be your heart motivation? don't I want that to be my heart motivation? Isn't that why we're here as a church? Isn't that the root of our calling that we want to do whatever possible to reach people? We don't want to put barriers, unnecessary hindrances. We don't want to push people away. We want to, we want to call people to Christ and see as many people as possible know him. And so because of that, he tells us two things about how he, how he responds. Because I want as many people as possible to know Jesus, Paul would say, I am flexible with others, and I am rigorous with myself. Because I want as many people as possible to know Jesus, I am flexible, I am adaptable, I am bendable in how I relate with others. But I am rigid, I am strict, I am focused with myself. That's what he says here. So let's look at both of those ideas. First of all, flexible for the sake of the gospel, Flexible for the sake of the gospel with others, rigorous for the sake of the gospel with myself. Paul is free, he says in verse 19, I'm free from all, but I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now chapters 8 and 9 have already shown that Paul lays down his rights, he ignores his preferences, he denies his own spiritual liberties, out of love for others, because he wants to win people to Christ. That means he wants to see them meet Jesus Christ. He wants people to hear and to, this is important, understand the gospel, to grasp the meaning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He doesn't want to import barriers into that message. And because of that, he is adaptable to other people. He's talking about his methodology. Paul is winsome. There's something attractive about the way he relates because he understands where people are coming from. And while never adapting the message, he will adapt his relatability so that they understand him. He will cross the cultural bridge to where other people are rather than standing back and demand that they cross the bridge to come to where he is. He is crossing the cultural bridge to connect with people. And so how does that work? Well, he says, verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Important, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So in Paul's day, uh, there was very live sort of uh, separation and, 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 and really opposition between Jews and Gentiles. A Jew was someone that uh, was part of the covenant people of God, followed the Old Testament law, and a Gentile was everyone else. And they were in a Greek culture, and so there were uh, Greeks who were Jewish, and then there were Greeks that were non-Jewish in his culture. But there was a separation between them. And the primary separation was that Jews looked to what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. They looked at that and followed the laws of the Old Testament, which seemed rather strange to the the Gentiles. They didn't understand. They didn't obey the same laws. And so Paul says, I'm preaching the gospel to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. So when I am with Jews... um, I will, uh, though I'm not under the law, I will honor the law. I, I, will, I, th- I, will, I will come to them as one who is under the law. Now, when he says I'm not under the law, he's not talking about now that I'm a Christian, I don't care about the Ten Commandments and stuff like that. He's talking about the ceremonial law, the regulations that made Jews distinctive as a people. And so he's probably talking about here things like the Sabbath law, which is worshiping on Saturday, the seventh day of the week, um, and what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Things like the dietary laws Jews didn't eat. but they didn't eat a number of animals that were uh, unclean and uh, pork in particular, and, but other things as well, shell, uh, shellfish and various things that they did not eat. So he's saying when I was with them, uh, as long as what I was doing wouldn't communicate that this is the way to salvation. You know, as long as me doing this doesn't say, this is the way to be saved, avoid pork and worship on Saturday, as long as it doesn't communicate that, I'll do any of that stuff. I will do anything, even though I'm not obligated to that, I will do any of those kind of practices in order to have an opportunity to tell them that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm not going to make a fight about all of those kind of things. And so, for example, he does optional things. In, in Acts 16, he's taken a young guy named Timothy as a, uh, as a disciple of his into ministry to reach Jews. Well, Timothy's dad's Greek, and so Timothy wasn't circumcised, which is part of the Jewish law. So Paul takes him uh, as an adult man and circumcises him so that when he goes among the Jews, there won't be a question about him, which sounds like as an adult Timothy became all things to all. I mean, it's not like he was making the greater sacrifice than Paul in Acts 16, but that's, that's what's communicated. He was willing to do that so that they could reach the Jews, and there was no concern. Um, think about Paul in Acts. Everywhere is meeting with the Jews. Have you ever thought about this? Everywhere we went into the city, and we gathered in the synagogue with the people to preach the gospel. What was he doing? Well, he's worshiping on Saturday. He's honoring the Sabbath. He's walking through the Jewish liturgy and prayers, all those kind of things. He's doing that to preach the gospel. He honored that, and obviously he would have he would have honored the Jewish food laws. He wouldn't have gone to the synagogue on Saturday. He would have ceased from work like them to share the gospel when he's reaching Jews. He wouldn't have said, hey, that was a great service. Everybody to my house for a pig roast. You know, he would have honored the dietary laws and eaten kosher when he was with them. Now, does that mean Paul believes that circumcision is necessary to know Jesus? Absolutely not. Does he believe you must worship on Saturday in the temple to know Jesus? No. No. Does he believe that you can only eat certain kinds of food? No, God uh, declares all foods clean in Acts, and Jesus says the same thing. So, no, he doesn't believe he has to eat a certain way, but he doesn't want to introduce those as barriers to them. See, those are matters that don't; those are uh, uh, those are issues that don't really matter, and so he will go with what doesn't really matter, so that he can tell them what really does matter. And if he ignores those kind of things or makes a big deal out of those kind of things, goes nuclear on those kind of things, then he has no opportunity to share the love of God with them. So he says, look, I'm, I'm not under the law, but I'm happy to do that. Flexible. To those outside the law, he says, that would be to Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So I am under the law of Christ, but I, I was adaptable to the Gentiles who weren't Under the law. So when I'm with the Gentiles, I act like they do. I relate to them. This doesn't mean he adapted to all their practices. He says he's under the law of Christ. He doesn't say to the idolater, I became an idolater. To the adulterer, I became an adulterer. He doesn't say that. He doesn't, he doesn't sin against God's word. But he's also just entering their world where they are, speaking their language, connecting to them. It's a wonderful study to look in the book of Acts, how he relates to Gentiles and Jews differently. So in Acts 17, he goes to Athens, the heart of Greek wisdom and philosophy, and there he doesn't, he just sounds very different than when he talks to Jews. He says to them, hey guys, I walked in today and there are statues everywhere. I notice you are a very religious people. He didn't start with, everybody's going to hell here. I saw the idols, and I don't approve of any of them. (laughs) He starts with, hey, everybody's very religious here, I noticed. And as a matter of fact, there's a statue out there, or there's a platform out there that says, you know, to an unknown god. You're even worshiping the God you don't know. And guess what? I'm here to tell you about that God today. Boom, he takes an entryway right into their culture. And in that speech in which he tells them about God, he quotes Greek poets. He says, your own poets say. He's using the language of poetry, the language that would be in our culture, perhaps the music of the day or something. He connects with them where they are. He didn't say, whoa, what? did somebody say, a Greek poet? Ah, I don't, I don't want to hear about that. Oh, that, I don't want to hear about no. He, he connects with them on that. See, he reaches differently. To the weak, he says, I became weak. Now, this may be the weak of chapter 8. Those who were afraid to uh, eat meat offered to idols. That, so he could mean when I'm with them, I don't eat meat, but, uh, which he wouldn't. But uh, I think it may mean a different weak here. It may mean those who are culturally weak, societally weak. And, and the reason I say that is because the whole passage is about winning the loss to Christ. And uh, the weak are Christians in chapter 8. So it could be those. In context of chapter 8, it could be. But I think he's probably talking about those who are weak, those who are marginalized, those who are socially ostracized, those who are needy. When I'm with the weak, I understand them. I'm like the weak. I become like them. That's another reason I think he's not talking about the weak who don't eat meat because he says, I became weak. Weak. I mean, he, he enters their world. He sees things from their point of view. He's aware of the burdens and the oppression and the difficulties that they face. He crosses the bridge to them, comes into their world, and where, after all, did he get that model? The Lord Jesus Christ who leaves heaven and incarnates to become a man coming into our world, adapting uh, to us and yet without sin. So why does he do this? Verse 22, again, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now this doesn't mean that he's fake. It doesn't mean like over here he's doing this thing and he's just really putting on a show because he wants to manipulate them to come to Christ or something. Then over here he is two-faced. He's doing something else because he wants to draw them in and he just hopes these people never meet these people or then he's busted. It's, It's not talking like that. He's motivated by love. He's not manipulating people. Uh, in any way. Uh, He's not advocating relativism where he says, look, truth is bendable. And I just sort of, in a relativistic way, just bend the truth to whoever my hearers are. I just fit it to make them comfortable. No, he doesn't bend the truth, but he bends himself. He bends methodologically he is, the word for this that, that missiologists used is contextualization. He looks at his context, and he says, there's neutral things about the context where I can adapt. I could adapt my speech. I could adapt my dress. I could adapt. Missionaries do this. I could adapt all these kinds of things to center on the gospel so that there's no barriers to them hearing what is the center of the message. So that's what he does. Paul is culturally agile. He's culturally nimble. He, ex- he enters into the experiences of others, and then he presents the unchangeable gospel, the unchangeable message of Jesus in an understandable way, by relating to people where they are. How can we apply that reality in the section? Well, we're called to become flexible for the gospel as well. We're called to become flexible, and that starts with a decision. I love it how he says, I have become all things to all people. This was an intentional strategy of his. This was a decision he made motivated by love. This is a decision he made motivated by wanting to see as many people as possible know Jesus. Because of that, he has become. He decided to do this. Have you ever made that decision for yourself? Have you decided to become all things to all people, not so that you fit in, not so that you're welcomed, you know, by everybody and everybody loves you and likes you. Not so that, well, I got a verse on that. I can party just like the world with the world. There's no difference, but I got a verse, all things. All, that's not what he's talking about. He's still under the law of Christ. But have you ever made the decision that you say, listen, I want to, I want to enter, I want to cross the cultural bridge into somebody else's world. Somebody else's worldview, somebody else's mindset, somebody else's experience. I'm making the decision to listen, to learn, to adapt, to befriend, genuinely befriend for the sake of the gospel. Or are you just expecting people to come to your beliefs, to affirm you, to accept you, to understand you and your beliefs? This is what a lot of Christians do. And this shows up more clearly than anywhere that I'm aware of on social media. And and on social media, the Christian outrage that's often expressed because the world doesn't get us, and the world is wrong, and why don't they see? It's the exact opposite of the approach here that Paul's talking about. It's why doesn't everybody get me and us, and it's worst of all when it's tied to politics and our point of view, which represents Jesus politically. Why doesn't everybody get this? Instead of saying, hey, how about I seek to understand some other people? And enter their world. I find very few genuine questions of understanding posed to other people, especially with opposite views on uh, social media. Rather, just a lot of snarky comments and a lot of, oh, gotcha there, and that kind of stuff. This, this is, it's better to be silent than to do that. But what's better is personally to engage people's life, to understand them, to try to figure out where they're coming from. But often there's outrage because you don't get me Paul's not outraged because they don't get him. Paul's saying, I will do whatever it takes so that they get Jesus, not they get me and affirm me. In college, I spent a summer on a mission trip. Um, It was great in the country of Panama. And uh, that's in Central America. And uh, they speak Spanish. Just being all things, all people here, explaining what the world, what the deal was. So, um, but we didn't speak Spanish. Not very many of us on the trip. There's maybe 25 college kids, and uh, from across the country, and we didn't speak Spanish. Most of us, a couple did, and so we had these hosts who were a little older than we were most of them late 20s, these kind of hosts that led our team. So they would arrange places for us to go and share the gospel. And we did a lot on college campuses and that kind of stuff. Uh, but they hosted us. They were wonderful. And uh, they, they uh, w- would just go, you know, we learned a lot. We didn't know what was culturally and not culturally acceptable oftentimes. And uh, so one night I remember we're walking through a barrio, And we, all this group of mostly, I was thinking about this morning, I think almost all white kids, which would have stood out in this barrio where there's no white people, not white young people living there at all. And we walk at this barrio and we come up, this is the eighties. And so we came up to street performers and the street performers were like high school, college age. And there they were with their cardboard on the ground. Some of you know where this is going. If you live in the eighties, their cardboard on the ground, wearing their parachute pants And they were breakdancing. And they were really good. And so our group was fascinated. Then Zbario, here's these kids that are doing this uh, tremendously acrobatic, you know, rhythmic moves. We were amazed by what they were doing. So we instantly went up to them and started sort of engaging them. And uh, talking to them and cheering them on and rooting, you know, really, really enjoying what they were doing, which was something none of us could do. It was amazing, very good, very acrobatic, uh, and they were doing all these kinds of things. And we were talking, ask, you know, starting to ask them questions, find out how did you learn this, how long have you been doing this, man, you're really good at this, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the hosts just pulled us aside and rebuked us so strongly, and said, Christians have nothing to do with breakdancing. And I said, really? (laughs) Nothing to do with that. His mindset was this, we distinguish ourselves, we separate ourselves so much from anything that's going on in the culture that people will see that we're different and will want to follow Jesus because we're distinct from that now. They were not doing sexually provocative moves, that would have been different. They were not, there was no lyrics, it was just music. So there was not like sexually provocative lyrics that they were dancing, it was none of that kind of stuff. They were just doing their deal. But, but we don't have any part of that. And so by living separate Then we, by having nothing to do with that, then that's ultimately the mission of how we lead people to the Lord. And I thought about it at the time. We did a lot of stupid things. I'm sure we represented the dumb American, the obnoxious American numerous times. But this was like one of the one moments of the summer. That I think the kids got it right because we missed an opportunity to engage, to respect someone, to appreciate their art form, which they had invested their lives in doing. To take a genuine interest in them, to find out what they were doing, to say this is, some, this is something that's not of matter. They're not, we're not entering into some blatant sin here or something. Just it's listening to them because the question was very quickly going to come: Why are twenty-five white college kids in our barrio tonight? And so that's coming at some point, and the open door because we didn't come with Jesus. We came with, what are you doing taking an interest in them? But we were told that is not how you do mission. We had an opportunity to listen, to ask, to learn, to adapt to them, to posture ourselves as learner servants who genuinely were interested and entertained for the sake of the gospel. Paul made that decision to those outside the law I became as one outside the law. I was interested. I quoted the Greek poets. Have you made the decision to become all things? Are you looking beyond yourself into the lives of others to understand who they are, what they value, what they love, to engage on their turf and to be flexible so that you don't put up unnecessary barriers to the gospel they don't write off prematurely? This is not a barrier to the gospel that someone can't believe in Jesus and do their deal that they were doing. So I don't want to introduce new barriers that said to come to Christ, you cannot do what you are doing there. Have we made that decision? Flexibility. This is what he's talking about. Cultural flexibility for the sake of the gospel. And secondly, flexibility means serving. Look how Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This means more ear and less mouth. Genuinely speaking, most of us as Christians who are engaging with other people, if we want to really serve, we would do better, more ear and less mouth. That's true in the church more ear and less mouth. Learning to ask questions, learning to genuinely take an interest, not setting somebody up for the sale so that you act interested. I mean, we've all met that salesman who's got, oh yeah, their kids are so cute. And yeah, well, I don't think we're going to buy today. Pfft, sorry, kids. You know, it's, just, it's how it goes, right? So not just feigning interest to lead them to Christ. But genuinely, Lord, I want to serve. I want to have an an interest in them, to cross a bridge to another's experience. I was reading a book recently about how, uh, it was a survey of millennials who've left the church, and uh, many of, one of the primary complaints was, the church tells us, but isn't open to our questions. The church doesn't listen to what we're asking. It just tell, 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 tell. For Paul, evangelism isn't a formula. It's personal. It's becoming all things to all people. It's being under the law for someone who's under the law. It's being outside the law without sin for those who are outside the law. It's good news to a particular person in a particular context, seeking to do the best we can to reach them and to love them by just taking a genuine interest in them. Listen, there may be a place for a gospel track. There may be a place for a, a prepackaged sort of evangelistic, you know, approach. But the primary way that God reaches people is through people. And it's through people who said, I have become a servant to all. It's through people who said, I have become all things to all people, even if they're really different than me. Paul was a Jewish background. I assure you, he was not naturally comfortable with all the Gentiles. I assure you, he was well-educated. Pr- uh, prominent growing up in his society, growing up in the in the Jewish world. He was prominent, probably wealthy if he was a prominent teacher. He was secure and well-respected. I assure you that Paul naturally didn't hang out with the weak prior to meeting Jesus. But now he's saying, I'll be with them and I'll enter in and I'll get to know them. The primary way God reaches people is through relational Agility, social, just being sensitive to where someone else is coming from and being adaptable then without ever sinning or without being adapted, adapting the gospel as well. It's relationships from winsome Christians who are willing to be flexible for the sake of gaining ultimately a hearing for Christ in the gospel, taking an interest in a person. I don't think you can become all things to all people by hiding tracks in the napkin dispenser at the restaurant, okay? People won't find that compelling. They find that irritating. Because I want to wipe my mouth, not read something religious. That's why I reached in there, okay? God bless you if you've done that kind of thing and you were sincere. God bless you. And God is sovereign. People, you know, wiped their mouth and then read it and got saved. I'm sure that happened somewhere. God is sovereign and he works in spite of us. But this is, we're about to see in a minute, this is hard. That's easy. This is uncomfortable. That's easy. Listening and holding my tongue. Whoa, 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 whoa. Listening, understanding, caring. Very hard. Tell, tell, tell. That's easy. Taking an interest, becoming all people, all things to all people. We want to learn and enter their world. Commentator Stephen Um, who wrote a commentary on 1 Corinthians on this passage, he says this Can we, this is what he's saying, Paul's talking about becoming all things to all people. Can we see from others' point of view? Do we get the hopes and fears of our neighbors? I might add, do we even care? But do we get the hopes and fears of our neighbors? Do we know what troubles those around us regarding Christianity? Do we know what troubles those around us regarding Christianity? We know what their, their barriers, their problems with the faith is. Can we speak in ways that people understand? Or are we so entrenched in a Christian world that we don't really know where others are? That's a good question. Do I really understand and engage with people. Sometimes we may have a brief encounter with someone that opens up the door to share the good news. That's fantastic. Certainly we can have a brief encounter with someone, hand them a card and invite them to church. Fantastic. That is great. Wonderful. Do it. May we all do it far more, but the bulk of our prayer and the bulk of our effort should be in knowing people that God has placed around us so that we know them well enough, we enter into their life well enough that we're answering the questions that they're even asking. We've taken time to not do a sales pitch. But to find out, what is, what is their life like? What burdens them? What questions do I, they have? And that's why I love the bridge, the class that's coming up in two weeks. And if you're investigating the faith, I want to tell you how you'll be treated there. And if you're inviting someone, I want to tell you how you'd be treated there. Because it's really, I mean, I've never heard Rob say this, but I think it's based off this past passage, the methodology. Because what happens is we come and we have a meal together. Not the Christians and the non-Christians, the humans who are hungry We come as all people having a meal, doing something normal together. And the whole conversation isn't, do you know Jesus? Just having a meal. Then there's a talk on a topic that not everybody is equally asking, but many are asking that question, the most common questions in our culture that are being asked. And then there's a breaking in a small group for dialogue and question and answer. Where anybody is free to ask any question without being looked down upon or sneered at or, you know, mocked or anything. Any, it, it, there's a respect. There's a civility which is completely eroded in this culture, in the p- current political co- climate, etc. The civility in this culture is, is gone. Just having a civil conversation with people who have different points of view, that's stellar in this day and age. So there's a conversation. And then what? guess what? We do it again next week. So there's a building of relationship with the same people in the same group, getting to know them each week as they hear about the truths of Christianity. And as they take the questions that they have in terms of what they hear, not what we tell them they need to be asking, but the questions they have are then uh, sought to be you know, helped in a sensitive way to seek to serve them. I think though it is a programmatic approach, By that, I mean we meet at the same time every week. So there's a a bit of an organization to it. But though it's a programmatic approach, I really do believe that it's geared to bring the good news in a way that I've become all things to all people. Because really what stirs the discussion is the question of the person who shows up to ask. So if you're an inquirer, come. You won't be beat over the head, beaten over the head. Uh, You know, you'll be loved. You'll be given clear answers, won't apologize for Jesus or hide the Bible or anything like that. But you you will be you will be handled in a very respectful. We'll come alongside and, and we'll learn from you. I don't I don't anticipate that we have all the answers. So we're there to learn as as those participants are learning as well. But this requires us to make a decision to serve. Paul says that's his mindset. Now here's what blew me away about this passage. Because I want as many people as possible to know Jesus, I'm flexible. Jew or Gentile, strong or weak, flexible. Here's what I wasn't anticipating. Because I want as many people as possible to know Jesus, I'm rigorous with myself for the sake of the gospel. Verse 24, do you not know that all in a race, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We have in my hearing and my understanding and my teaching, my experience always understood the running image and the boxing image as descriptive for the overall Christian life. We have always viewed that as something that has to do with my sanctification. So my exercise, so like an athlete would train exercise and eating right, that might be Bible and prayer, spiritual disciplines and that kind of stuff, that the Christian life is self-denial of myself, just like a competitive athlete. And all of that's true. And Paul uses that image elsewhere. But if we're going to be honest with the context, what Paul is talking about here is he is talking about, I become all things to all people so that I may win some. And I do that like I'm in training as an athlete. I make serious sacrifices. I am focused. This didn't come out of the air. I know this is on coffee cups. I know that you can get stationary at the Christian bookstore with these verses on it. I know you can get a shirt with a, an Olympic thing, you know, Olympic gold medal and run for the prize. Okay. I know all that, but right here in this context, Paul is, he's didn't just bring this out of the blue. This isn't out of the verse out of the bread box that we just sort of memorized this week. This has a context. And while it is true that the Christian life is self-denial and that it is a training, while all of that is certainly true, the context here is, well, the ESV Study Bible says it great. Here's how the ESV Study Bible summarizes those verses. Like an athlete, Paul has a single-minded goal to bring as many people as possible from whatever station in life to faith in the gospel. The illustration is an athlete does this with focus and sacrifice. And in the same way, I live my life with focus and sacrifice to bring as many people as possible to the gospel. And that's hard. That requires endurance. That requires saying no to myself. That requires being faithful. That requires living a life that is somewhat rigorous and self-discipline. Well, I don't understand how I bringing the gospel to different people like the discipline training of an athlete. That makes no sense to me. I'm glad you asked that. A guy I quoted earlier from his commentary, Stephen Um, this is what he said about this. Very good. He said, his point that was that, now listen to this, that discipline is absolutely essential, not to our progress in the Christian life, but to our witness in the world. Here is the reason why. It is so much easier for a Christian to retreat to his safe enclave instead of staying in the world. It takes a lot of work an intentional focus to know one 's neighbors and the broader culture, to feel their hopes and to discern their questions. It takes a lot of effort. Many of us are way out of shape on this topic. Way out of shape. We may be physically fit. You may be spiritually fit in the sense that you are reading your Bible and praying and growing in holiness, but you may be flabby as all get out on this topic of discipline, focus, and training to know my neighbor, to care about somebody else, to know Jesus, to leverage my finances, my gifts, my home, my time, my my mind, whatever I have, my hands to serve others, whatever I have, all things, all people, that by all means we may win some. Now, I would massage what he said a little bit. I do think what's being said here applies to the Christian life more broadly, and Paul uses the imagery elsewhere. But the tightest and first application, I do believe, is that the commitment he describes to be all things to all people for the sake of the gospel involves discipline. It's a focused approach to life where we view all of life as mission with the gospel. Isn't that great? It's not just this one section of my life. It's like, I'm intentional. He says, I'm not running aimlessly. That's like you're in a race and the starter's gun goes off and you just jump off and kind of start running over here and over there and over there. You're like, whoa, that's, that's aimless running. What are you doing? This is the track goes this way. He says, I don't shadow box it may mean one of two things. It may be like boxing in the air like uh, you've seen people do that, like air guitar, air box, whatever, just doing that in the air. Or it may, mean, it may actually mean being in a match and just missing people, boxing and missing. Uh, so one of those. But he says, I don't, just, I don't just swing and not connect is what he's saying. I don't just run without direction, but I focus. I discipline my body. He's saying it's so serious. Here's what he's saying. There's no days off on Gospel Witness, you don't get to go to work this day and say, my witnesses doesn't matter. I'm taking a pass on representing Jesus in the office today. I'm taking a pass. I mean, come on. Don't we get a cheat day on a diet? This is my cheat day with the gospel. I'm going to act a fool in the office this week and do whatever I want. No, there's, there's no days off on gospel witness. That's, what he's, that's why he's saying I'm rigorous about this. And and he's saying my own godliness is at the heart of this. He's saying I don't give myself to ungodly passions. I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Listen, I... Concerned about my own personal godliness, I take my life and my walk with the Lord very seriously because I don't want to disqualify myself and my witness. First Corinthians three said that all of our uh, th- that we're all assessed on the judgment day, and what's built with the gospel lasts, and what's not built with the gospel is wood, hay, and stubble. And he says, I don't want to get to that day. In essence, my efforts be disqualified because I was chasing my own passions rather than having a vision for winning some, winning someone, directing someone to Christ. I don't want my life and my witness to be so sloppy spiritually that it's not compelling, but it's an affront to the gospel. And when we do sin, we just need to acknowledge that. We do sin. We we don't represent Christ well so frequently. Just acknowledge that and humble ourselves, and then we are representing Christ, aren't we? So that's what he says, I discipline myself like an athlete, determined, focused, and eyes on winning, eyes on the prize. Verse 25, he said, every um, athlete exercises self-control, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. Um, In the, uh, the, the largest athletic games in Greece, aside from the Olympics, were the Isthmian, I think that's how you pronounce it, Isthmian games in Corinth. That happened every other year. And when you run a race, uh, they were all individual sports. When you run a race, you were given a wreath that was made out of some kind of uh, foliage. And so it was great, but unlike a gold medal, you know, it didn't make it very long. So it was great for a moment. He's saying these people have skipped everything. They've skipped meals. They've worked hard on their, or, or they've eaten a certain way. They've denied themselves. They've got plenty of sleep. They've done everything that's needed in training as an athlete. And all that for a headband of leaves that like in a few days it's gone. So he's saying, I am, I'm doing this for an imperishable wreath. The glory of standing before the Lord, well done, good and faithful servants, being faithful to follow Christ and being faithful as well in my relationships where he placed me to represent him, to represent him. There's an eternal, glorious reward. He talks about that in verse 23. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Did you catch this verse 23? I do, all, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them and its blessings. Why do I do all this? I want them to experience what I've experienced. Isn't that glorious? That's the glory is that someone else would know Christ and we'd celebrate him together. Wasn't it worth me foregoing that thing? Wasn't it worth me inconveniencing myself and cleaning up and having them over? Wasn't it worth taking that person out to lunch at work? Wasn't it worth taking a project off someone at work, loving them, caring for them, extending myself for them? And one day that led to an opportunity to share the gospel with them because I postured myself as servant of all, becoming all things to all people, that people would know Jesus. How do we respond to this? Well, I've already mentioned some responses. I think we ask ourselves some hard questions. I think we also, well, if you're here and you don't know Christ, you believe. believe. If this passage says anything, this doesn't explain very much about what Jesus did. It explained about the motivation of why Paul told people about it, about him. Jesus died for our sins. We're all sinful. We're all separated from God. Jesus died for us. He took our sins upon himself. God judged his own son for our sins. And if we will believe in Christ and what he did for us in his death and resurrection, we can be forgiven and receive new life. It's glorious good news. It's so compelling that Paul says that's turned my life upside down. He'll ultimately die for that reality. Ultimately die. As did most of the apostles. They saw the resurrected Jesus and it was so he was so real. It was so glorious. It was eternity is at stake. This wasn't pick your team, pick your religion for this life, whatever works for you. This is eternity, either with Christ in heaven or separated from him in judgment in hell. So Paul was willing to give his life. Paul was willing to say yes to anything that would serve someone else and no to himself. I love this. Paul was willing to train like an athlete so that everybody he knew could meet Christ. What does that mean if you don't know the Lord? That just means it is absolutely worth it to know him. It's, he's worth everything. He's that glorious. Sign up for Bridge. If, you're, if you don't know the Lord, go out there. It's free, but just give us your name so we'll know how many kids, if you're bringing kids, we can watch them and we'll have some food prepared for you. So you can sign up right over here where I'm pointing on the other side of that wall after the service. And if you have any, and come back next week for Easter, come back. Number two, we need to decide if we're Christians, I have become. Ask the Lord to change your heart, to posture you as a servant to others for the sake of the gospel. I think this is the most important issue. It's not what's the evangelistic technique. It's not can you answer every question. We may need to do some homework to answer some questions. But it, doesn't, it's not that, it starts with, do I care? Am I getting my eyes off my own smartphone long enough to look around and go, man, there's people that need Jesus all around me. Is it just my world, my job, my kids, my health, my free time? So it's, Lord, help me to have this mindset. And then lastly, discipline yourself like an athlete. You may have never thought of this before. That like, if you ever met someone, I'm training for a 5K, or I'm training for a half marathon, or I'm training for a marathon. Anybody's doing that, you would know about it if you're on social media, by the way. That's never a secret. Um, So... (laughs) Oh, I love you. If you're doing that, I love you. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. So I, I just generically, there are people that do that. Um, and I always want to do, every time I see somebody post, I ran this much. I always want to post a picture of a bowl of ice cream. I ate this in four minutes, but I, I do not do that. So I uh, hope you enjoyed your run. I work out. So I'm ju- I do. I, I do. Uh, so. <laughs> But to take that competition mindset, and now I'm being serious, someone who's training for a marathon, someone who's training for a half marathon, man, it affects their life. And I, all joking aside, I respect someone who puts that kind of discipline towards a goal. At best, you're going to get that little sticker for the back of your car that says 13 point whatever, 26 point whatever, and a few high fives on your Instagram post. That's at best. He's saying if you discipline yourself, It's eternal. So run for sure. But on top of that, think about the eternal glory of somebody meeting Christ. And am I willing to discipline myself as much as I am with my money or my calendar or my church service or my job or my exercise? Pick the area. We're all disciplined probably in one area anyway. Pick an area where you're disciplined. Am I willing to be that disciplined and more for the gospel, for people who don't know him? That's what he's saying. And then ask, what would it be like to get into shape for the sake of others, with the gospel. What does that mean? I think it's different for all of us. I think for all of us, it starts with praying. Number two, I think it starts with beginning to meet the people that are all around you in your life. That's the first step. you got to go to a gym and join. you gotta meet. You got to meet who's around you. Do you know your neighbors? Have you met them? Do you know your coworkers? Are you taking an interest? Are you the person who's separated from everybody else? Or are you the person who's engaging everyone else? So it's, first of all, getting to know people. And then taking an initiative with them, getting to know them, pray, get to know, take an initiative. Now we're starting to list some weight. Take an initiative. Invite a coworker to lunch who doesn't know the Lord. Invite someone to your house for hospitality. Invite a friend to bridge. Th- the application of this message could not be more timely. You know, you start praying and you're going to take your first run around the track is you're going Im- to take the bold step to invite someone. Hey, the Thursday after Easter, we got to think, no, Easter, would you like to come Easter? Then the week after you start got a thing, would you like to come to it? Dinner, take care of your kids, low key. Take an interest and do some kind of action and then get in the habit. It's like anything else. Once you start running and you're running, it's just easier to get going. This is what I found. I have stages in my life where I really am reaching out and looking to people. And I have stages in my life where I'm not thinking about anybody who's lost. I go through those cycles. It's just like joining a gym. Sometimes, everybody's there in January and they're gone by, by now. They're all gone, but I'll see you next January. We don't want to be that kind of Christian. Paul says, I disciplined my life. It wasn't January. Now, we've got Easter in front of us, but it wasn't just January. That's the Easter moment. But it was, I disciplined myself after that. I prayed. I invited accountability. I asked other people to pray for me. I, I took steps. I was regular. One. I, had a, I put it on a calendar. Here's who we're inviting the next six months over. Here's who I'm praying for. I put it in a journal. I disciplined myself to think about others they're not projects they're people they're friends but sometimes if we don't discipline ourselves even people we love if we don't have some discipline it doesn't happen I love my wife but if I don't put on the calendar oh we're blocking out this night to go out and I just let other things fill the calendar yes I love her but I didn't exercise any discipline didn't put anything on the calendar didn't give it any thought and it didn't happen and the same is true here and I love this imagery Sacrifice works, self control, disciplining my body is like that. Curbing my passions at point so that I could serve and love others. And then when you get that kind of habit and you do it with others, you get a running buddy or a weightlifting buddy or whatever you do, a yoga friend or whatever the thing is you do, you get someone else that's in there with you. It becomes a lifestyle. You start seeing things happen and it's glorious. I want that for my life. I want that for you. I want that for our whole church. We would all say, yeah, this is our life, man. This is where we're, you got anything better? Anybody got anything better to do than this? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> See us at the Connect Center afterwards. But if you, who's got anything more important than this? What's going on more valuable than this? Nothing. So as we scatter, we're dismissing now. As we scatter, we scatter. There are thousands of relationships out there that are connected to the people in these two service. Thousands. There's hundreds in this church. So that means there's thousands of relationships. Everybody has two friends, five friends, 10 friends. Some people know 20 unbelieving friends, whatever. Thousands that we go out to. What if we went out filled with the spirit as an army, humbling ourselves, saying, God, help us get a grip on this. Help me to get this motivation. And then once I get this motivation, help me to have an eternal goal eternal vision, and help me to have heart for others, and then let me start getting flexible in the way I relate with others. Help me to repent of, of self-righteousness uh, and pettiness and Christian subculture rules that we've got that aren't in the Bible, all this kind of stuff. Let me get away from that pettiness. Let me start loving people, being flexible with them, and rigorous with myself in prayer, and see what the Lord might do. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at Frisco dot org.